This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. Inshallah ta'ala, dear brothers and sisters, uh, this is the last person we will be speaking about from the blessed family of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he is indeed an incredible human being and someone who, uh, inshallah ta'ala, we can learn some very unique lessons from. And before I speak about Al-Bara, the brother of Anas today, radiallahu anhuma, I wanted to actually mention, subhanAllah, that sometimes when we talk about superheroes, we speak about the past and we don't think they exist amongst us today. And um, I actually had the blessing of interviewing, uh, speaking with uh, Afreen Fatima, who many of you have followed in India, whose home was demolished in India, as our brothers and sisters in India are facing a genocide. At the moment, they are on genocide alert. Over 200 million Muslims on genocide alert. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect them. Allahumma ameen. And um, Afreen, alhamdulillah, I mean, I recorded something, inshallah ta'ala, we'll be putting out tomorrow, but the night ta'ala, tomorrow morning, inshallah. So please do tune into that and watch with your families, inshallah ta'ala, uh, so that you can become more educated about the plight of our brothers and sisters in India, inshallah ta'ala, and its connection to what is happening to the rest of the ummah and how it pertains to us in particular. Uh, so inshallah ta'ala, that will be tomorrow. This will be the last uh, lecture of the first that we do before the hijjah inshallah ta'ala, and then we'll break for about a month inshallah ta'ala and start back in August, bi'ithnillah. We're on episode 80, alhamdulillah. Some of you have been, been here from the start, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. So we're on episode 80 now. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to continue to live with these blessed people in our memory and in our hearts and also to follow in their footsteps. Allahumma ameen. So today we're talking about Al-Bara ibn Malik ibn al-Nadr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the brother of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Al-Bara. Now how many of you have heard the name of Al-Bara before in the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu How many of you have heard this name Al-Bara? Not many of you it seems. But when you hear the name of Al-Bara, it's actually very important. It's not talking about this Bara, okay? Uh, Al-Bara, when it's spoken in hadith literature or in the seerah of the Prophet it's referring usually to Al-Bara ibn Azib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Al-Bara ibn Azib who's a much more famous Bara or Al-Bara ibn Ma'roor. Uh, Al-Bara ibn Azib or Al-Bara ibn Ma'roor. This brother of Anas ibn Malik actually has no hadiths narrated to him. Okay, so he's actually not very famous at all. There is not much narrated about Al-Bara ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. However, what is narrated about him is so unique uh, and gives us some pretty unique lessons ta'ala that we can take. So this is a different bara than the one that you will hear in the books of hadith, including sometime al-bara ibn Azib narrating from Anas ibn Malik. Okay, may Allah be pleased with them all. Now, as we said about al-bara ibn Malik, there's a difference of opinion about whether he is Anas's brother through just his father or also through his mother. And the more correct opinion is that Umm Sulaim is his mother as well. And so you'll see some of the Umm Sulaim come out of him as well. So he is, according to the correct opinion, uh, multiple narrations from Ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala narrates this as well and others, that he is Anas's full brother. He is the full brother of Anas ibn Malik ta'ala anhu. He is his older brother. Therefore, his mother is also Umm Sulaim radiallahu ta'ala anha who we learned so much about and inshallah ta'ala what you'll see today of that spirit of sacrifice also is just a unique manifestation uh, of the children of Umm Sulaim radiallahu ta'ala anha. However, this man has such a unique story. So for one, we know virtually nothing about him prior to Islam, almost nothing. We know nothing about his conversion to Islam. So you got the story of Umm Sulaim bringing Anas we know nothing about his story of actually converting to Islam. The first time he actually shows up is in the Battle of Uhud. That's the first time we actually start to see a mention of him in all of the battles. So he was not present in Badr, presumably because he was too young. But then he's present in every battle and becomes famous for his presence in battle. Okay, so we know nothing about him before Islam. We know nothing about the actual conversion to Islam of Al-Bara ibn Malik anhu. We know nothing about his participation or lack of participation in Badr. But then you have these stories of him in battle and he's one of those companions, very interestingly enough, who literally his entire seerah is in battle. All right, like 
Family life, not there. Any personal stories with the Prophet really not there. It is battle after battle after battle, but in a very unique way. When we talked about Ubadat ibn Samit radiallahu ta'ala anhu, this whole family was just sacrificed, right? Always by the side of the Prophet and always willing to put themselves first. The description of Ubadat ibn Samit radiallahu ta'ala anhu was what? Tall, dark, handsome, strong, imposing features. When he walked into a room, everybody was quiet when Ubadat ibn Samit walked into a room, right? He had Hayba. He had Hayba means a sense of awe. When Ubadat ibn Samit walked in a room, everyone knew this was a special man. And they sat down and they listened to him and he could broker treaties, he could lead armies. I mean, Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu has an imposing presence before Islam and even more imposing after Islam, right? Listen to the description of Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Al-Bara was extremely short extremely thin. They said that there was nothing pinchable on the body of Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. No bone, no, nothing on his bones. No flesh on his bones. His appearance was uh, unkempt. He had, he was dusty. He owned two garments. He spoke very little. His hair was all over the place. When people looked at him, they degraded him. They belittled him. He was very pale and he wasn't very handsome. That's the description of his physical appearance. You're like, why are you talking about this? <laughs> because there's a particular hadith that actually pertains to him. You may have heard in the Angel series, we talked about it in the Judgment Day series as well, where the Prophet out of all of the companions, only mentioned his name as an example of this person. The Prophet said, Kam min how many people are there that are unkempt, that are covered in dust, that are turned away from people's door? Timrayni la yu'bahu lahu. He only owns two garments, and no one pays any attention to this person. Meaning, people would belittle and degrade this person. They would think he's a nobody in society. He looks like a peasant. He doesn't have anything physically that gives him a sense of dominance in society. But that person is so special. لَوْ أَقْسَمَ عَلَى اللَّهِ لَأَبَرَّ لَوْ أَقْسَمَ عَلَى اللَّهِ لَأَبَرَّ means, it's not just the person who's mujabu da'wah, who has answered du'as. It means that that person has reached a position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when they take an oath upon Allah, they know that Allah will fulfill their oath. They're so close to Allah, they have exceeded in the ranks so much that when they say, Ya Allah, I ask of you this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does because of where they are in terms of their rank. The Prophet said, Minhum al Bara ibn Malik. He pointed to al Bara ibn Malik anhu and said, In my ummah, that's al Bara ibn Malik. In another narration, the Prophet mentioned these people, right? And this was something the Prophet consistently does. Consistently does. He's asking the companions when they see someone pass by. Prophet says, what do you say about this person? They said, Ya Rasulullah, this person's honorable. If he speaks, we all listen. If he intercedes, his shafa'ah, his intercession is accepted. The guy could propose to anyone for marriage. He would be married. And then another person passed by. And the Prophet said, what do you say about this person? I said, Ya Rasulullah, this person's little, nothing. If he speaks, no one listens to him. If he intercedes, no one cares for his intercession. And if he proposes for marriage, he's not going to be able to get married. And the Prophet said, that person is better than an earth full of that person. That person that you look at and you degrade and you think is a nobody is better in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the earth full of that person that you just showered with praises. Meaning even Ubadat ibn Samit radiallahu ta'ala anhu, what made him beautiful was his Islam, his character, his faith. And that's where all of that came in. All the other stuff would have been nothing. He could, I mean, Abu Jahl also was a, 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 a big, strong, handsome man, right? But his rejection of faith and the ugliness of his character made him ugly in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and debased and degraded to the Muslims and for history, right? So the only person that the Prophet names as an example of this type of person is Al-Bara ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He's not eloquent. 
He's not someone who's going to be in the prestigious gatherings. He's someone who would be belittled before Islam. He's not someone that particularly has you know, an attractive appearance. He's not someone that looks very strong. But subhanAllah, لَوْ أَقْسَمَ عَلَى اللَّهِ He is answered in his dua. The man says, Allahumma, and Allah answers him. And subhanAllah, for that reason, you don't find any. You, you have over a thousand of his brother, Anas ibn Malik anhu, saying that the Prophet said this and that. You don't find a single one from Al-Bara'a Not one. Despite Umm Sulaim despite Anas ibn Malik not one of Al-Bara'a saying, I heard from the Prophet this, I heard from the Prophet that. The only two words the man knew was Allah and Jannah, right? They said that, this is a description of him in one of the books, is that, La ya'rifu illa wal jannah. Allah and Jannah. I love Allah and I want Jannah. Which shows you, subhanAllah, that when you're reading in the history of these people, you don't always have to be. You don't always have to be this perfect mold of a hero. Heroes come in different shapes and colors and sizes, and in different levels and classes and status. And this man that we're about to celebrate is indeed that person, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. However, there is something about Al-Bara as well is that his appearance was not just deceiving in that you might think he's not special but he's actually incredibly special in his relationship with Allah. The man was incredible in battle. I was going to say he was a beast. I don't want that to be misinterpreted. Who knows who watches this lecture later on and they don't understand this, uh, this language. But when he was in battle, he was something else. And the fact that his enemy would underestimate him, like you see Ali coming and Umar ibn Khattab coming, you know, the description of Ali is that if you took two hands and you put them around his bicep, your fingers would not connect. That was the strength of Sayyidina Ali. So you're talking about Az Zubair and you're talking about these companions. They saw Al Bara in the battlefield like, oh, piece of cake. He was not a piece of cake in the battlefield. The man was so courageous that he single-handedly will win battle after battle after battle after battle. Part of the reason why is that the enemy always underestimates him. So the Prophet tells the Muslims, don't underestimate Al-Bara'a As for the enemies, they're going to be in trouble every time Al-Bara'a shows up on the battlefield because they're going to think something of him and then he's going to just wreak havoc on the battlefield. That is his reputation as we will see in a very unique way. Now, just from a technical perspective, some of the few narrations that we have of him, as we said, Uhud onwards, Al-Bara' is in every single battle. Okay, he's also one of those who attended uh, Bay'atul Ridwan, the pledge under the tree, which, is, which are the people that Allah mentioned that he is pleased with, the companions that Allah mentioned that he is pleased with, the people who attended Bay'atul Ridwan. Uh, he is one of the people that did not flee from the Battle of Hunayn. There were very few people that did not flee from Hunayn. Al-Bara was one of those handful of people that stayed with the Prophet in the Battle of Hunayn and did not flee. He also, he was the person that would sing to the camels on a journey. All right? Now this is very interesting because some of you are like, what are you talking about? And I don't want you to, to, to sing your, uh, to your cars, all right? Uh, but when you go on these battles, right, these expeditions, You've got to also tend to the camels, right? And the camels had a particular tune. So you had to know the tune of the camels. Camels are very smart and intelligent animals, by the way. Right? I remember when I first moved overseas, they were like, don't mess with a camel because they'll find you 10 years later, <laughs> find out where you live and they'll do something to your house. I was like, all right, I get it. The, the Bedouins understood. So he was the person who, when he would go out with the Prophet he would be in charge of singing to the camels, okay? And Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, and Al-Bara' ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, kana yahdu bil-rijal wa kana anjasha yahdu bil-nisa. There's another name that's very famous, anjasha radiallahu anhu. So Anas says that when we go out on a journey, Al-Bara' would tend to yahdu, meaning he would sing to the camels that were carrying the men, and anjasha radiallahu anhu would sing to the camels that were carrying the women. And they both had beautiful voices. Okay, so Al-Bara'a had a beautiful voice, Anjasha had a beautiful voice, and that's the famous hadith the Prophet said, Ya Anjasha 
Take it easy with the camels that are carrying these precious vessels. He's talking about the women. Why? Because if the camels sped up, Anjasha had such a, a, a voice that if he made the camels go too fast, he could make the women fall off of the camels. Okay, that's the sharh of this hadith that, that seems to make the most sense. There's a long discourse here that I don't care to get into right now. But it just shows you, you know, at least you can imagine this person, he's in charge of keeping the camels motivated because you got to keep your animals uh, motivated. It's like giving premium gas or unleaded uh, gas uh, to the car. You've got to have that guy. So the Prophet used to take him for that purpose. And there are other narrations from Anas that suggest that he would sometimes be the only person that was in charge of all of the camels in a battle. Now, what is his most famous feat? So everything, as I said about him, is in battle. There's literally no story about Al-Bara'a in the short biography that doesn't exist in a battle, but there are lessons for all of us The first one again, do not belittle the person that's in front of you. You don't know what that status is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so just because we sometimes assign rank based upon material or visible or manifest things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has assigned value for different things. So do not, do not look away from people. Do not look past people. You don't know which person is special in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then it's the courage here. So the most famous battle of Al-Bara' radiallahu ta'ala anhu is the battle of Al-Yamama, the battle of Al-Yamama. Now I want to give you some context of the Battle of Al-Yamama. If you go back to the story of Wahshi, we spoke about the Battle of Yamama uh, and others. Um, the brother of Umar ibn Khattab anhu, Zayd ibn Khattab anhu, died in this battle. Multiple companions died in the Battle of Al-Yamama. It was a very difficult battle. The Battle of Al-Yamama was against a man by the name of Musaylama al-Kadhab. Musaylama the liar, Musaylama the false prophet. Now what a lot of people don't understand about Musaylama is that Musaylama did not just claim to be a prophet, he would murder people viciously, ruthlessly, I mean crucify people that did not accept his prophethood after the Prophet And he rose in the time of the Prophet he started to rear his head in the time of the Prophet he wrote a letter to the Prophet from Musaylama Rasulullah to Muhammad Rasulullah, even addressing the Prophet that way. And of course the Prophet called him Al-Kadhab, the liar, and Musaylama was a brutal opponent, a brutal false prophet. And he came from Banu Hanifa, which was one of the most difficult tribes with the Prophet And so Banu Hanifa, out of their tribalism, they said, Kadhab Banu Hanif, that the, the, the liar of Banu Hanifa is better than the Sadiq, than the truthful one of Quraysh. Like we know he doesn't make sense. We know Mus Musaylama even had his own Quran. And what was his Quran all about? Food. All of his Qur'an was about food, right? He just, surah after surah after surah about food. He used to eat a lot, all right? And people would laugh at him and mock him, but you know what? He's our guy because he's from our tribe. He's from our people. And Musaylama would slaughter people. I mean slaughter people, entire caravans, for not acknowledging him as a prophet after the Prophet Abu Bakr was the first one to officially go into battle with him. And this most famous battle was the battle of Al-Yamama and Musaylama had people, he had arms, he had warriors, okay? And he had an entire cutout of, 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 uh, of land where he could, where he could you know, attract and lure his enemy and then just viciously kill them. And SubhanAllah, you know, the battle of Al-Yamama, to, to give you some, some context to it as well, this is the battle where so many Hafad of Qur'an were killed that actually led Umar ibn Khattab anhu to suggest to Abu Bakr anhu, let's go ahead and produce multiple mushafs of the Qur'an because so many hafad are being killed. We don't want, I mean, it was inconceivable that all of the hafad would be killed, but you know what? We need to have copies of the Qur'an written as well. You know, we need to initiate this quicker so that it does not become uh, vulnerable to what's happening right now. Abu Bakr anhu dispatches first and foremost Ikrama ibn Abi Jahl. Ikrama anhu ibn Abi Jahl to fight against Musaylama. Ikrama goes in the first thrust and he actually fails. Okay, so multiple casualties on the Muslim side, and it was it was very very concerning. 
Then Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu sends Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Khalid radiallahu anhu has al-Bara ibn Malik radiallahu anhu with him. Now, one of the, the ways that Musaylama was winning this battle was that he had this fortress and it was nicknamed Hadiqatul Maut, the Garden of Death. Why? Because if, even if you got in, you were going to die. So they had a really strong fortress. They would shoot arrows from that fortress and throw all sorts of weapons, you know, catapult from that fortress, but no one could get into that fortress. So Al-Bara ibn Malik, this is his most famous stand, he says to Khalid ibn al-Walid, he says, look, I'm really small. He says, strap me to a shield and catapult me into the fortress and I will open it from inside and then you can attack. Can you think about that? Like, wait, what? Catapult me in to the fortress and I'll make my way to the door, to the gate of the fortress. I'll kill the guards, I'll get the fortress open and I'll let all of you in. Now, of course, like to a lot of people, like this is bravery, but it's also reckless. We can't do that, right? Like, I mean, what, what do you mean? You're going to die. Al-Bara is like, I don't care. He says, Ya ma'ashara al-Muslimin, alquni alayhim. Oh, Muslims, throw me at them. Go ahead and throw me at them. So eventually, they agree to the plan. They tie Al-Bara, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they strap him to a shield and they catapult him into Hadiqatul Maut, the Garden of Death. And guess what? It works. Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu lands on top of them and he's able to kill enough people and kill the guards of the fortress and bust open the gate and the Muslims could storm it. So it worked and he didn't die. SubhanAllah. So, I mean, it was, it was a very interesting situation that happened with him. So he, I mean, they have this sense of confidence. And of course, there's an element of surprise here. Like, you don't expect a guy to fall on top of you, right? Like, you're expecting arrows, some rocks, not a human being. But look at this man. Look at the courage. Look at the bravery of this man, right? And so, there were 20,000 people in this fortress, by the way, okay, in total. And Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu flies in and subhanAllah, his, it's his shock and what he's able to do and because of his size and because they said he was extremely agile, right? He's very small and so he was quick. He was able to cause all sorts of problems for them and the Muslims stormed. He didn't stop there. Al-Bara asked Khalid, who is their most severe warrior. Who's the person on their side that's the scary person? Who's, who's their boogeyman? And his nickname, they actually, uh, Musaylama had a man by the name of Hima, his nickname was Himar al-Yamama, the donkey of Yamama. Huge guy, um, you know, used to duel with people. I know this sounds like a movie, but it's actually history, subhanAllah. Himar al-Yamama, he said Himar al-Yamama. There's this man that Musaylama's right-hand man, basically his personal bodyguard. Musaylama's personal bodyguard was this gigantic man that they called Himar al-Yamama. His name is actually not mentioned, just the donkey of Yamama. So Al-Bara said, after I let you all in, I'm going to go to him. I'm going to find him. And SubhanAllah, he shows up. Musaylama is behind Himar al-Yamama because Musaylama was a coward, right? Our Prophet used to be in the front. Musaylama is all the way in the back hiding behind his his man, his guy. Al-Bara walks up to him. The guy thinks it's a joke. You and Al-Bara, I mean, by the way, I'm just going to be real here. This history is kind of bloody. He literally chops him down and kills him. Okay, single-handedly chops the man down and kills him. Musaylam is taken by surprise. That gave the opening to Wahshi to throw the spear at Musaylam al-Kadhab. And as we said, Wahshi, who killed Hamza radiallahu anhu and then repented, became Muslim. He said, I killed the best of people with the spear and the same spear that he killed the uncle of the Prophet with. He said, Qataltu khayran nas. I killed the best of people. And he said, Qataltu sharran nas. I killed the worst of people. This is my tawbah to Allah. I took out Hamza. I'm going to take out Musaylam al-Kadhab. So it was Al-Bara 
chopping down Himar al-Yamama, the personal bodyguard of Musaylimah that opens the way for this to happen according to, to multiple uh, documents of this but he, it's not like he wasn't hurt uh, Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu I mean he's the hero of this battle uh, in, in multiple ways people spoke about him and they sang his praises from this battle Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu they said that he was wounded with over 80 wounds in the battle of Al-Yamama but he did not die over 80 wounds he suffered but he did not die they said half of them were arrows and half of them were swords I mean, but the guy was cut up everywhere. SubhanAllah, somehow he survived it. And look at the honor of him. Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu stayed with him for an entire month to nurse him and to take care of him because Khalid radiallahu anhu attributed the victory of al-Yamama to him. So you talk about a pretty significant stance from al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And we're just getting started, by the way. But that's his most significant stance. I mean, just this idea of the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created different people for different things. That's what he did radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Khalid radiallahu anhu loved him so much and honored him so much he spent a whole month with him nursing his wounds, taking care of him and attributing, the, thanking him for what he did in the battle of Al-Yamama. Now, Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu becomes Khalifa. All right? Now you're going to hear something really, really interesting. Shouldn't this guy be a commander? Shouldn't this guy be an army general? I mean, he's this heroic, he's this brave. Shouldn't he be in charge of a big army like Ubadah anhu? What do you think? Umar is a wise man, right? Umar ibn al-Khattab anhu, when he becomes Khalifa, he sends a letter to all of his governors, and لا تستعملوا البراء على جيش من جيوش المسلمين. Do not use al-bara as a commander of any army from the armies of the Muslims. Why do you think that is? I actually want to hear some, uh, yeah. He's a bit over the top. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, فَإِنَّهُ مَهْلَكَ I mean, that's what he writes. He says he will get people killed. He's, he's, he's courageous, he's brave, but he's, he can't lead an army. Because if he leads an army, then he might project his own courage and his own bravery on everyone else behind him and the general has to kind of be a strategist right he's got to play things a little bit slow at times a little al-bara' had one you know one speed you know he just went and so umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu again so interesting subhanallah umar radiallahu anhu says no one use him as a commander of any army because you'll be leading them to destruction keep using him and he praised him he says, keep using him, you know, as, as a soldier. He's the best soldier that you can possibly have, but be careful with him. Because if he's leading a battalion, if he's leading an army, he's going to get people in trouble. He's going to get people killed. Which shows you, subhanAllah, by the way, the wisdom of Umar al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Umar is, is uh, radiallahu anhu, you could write books of leadership from Umar al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, right? And people have, you know, just his, his foresight. His vision, his wisdom, his balance, his understanding of circumstances, the way he, he's able to steer the Muslims through famine and plague and through the Romans and the Persians and all types of things. Umar anhu, how he handles policy on the inside and on the outside, right? His domestic and his foreign policy. You could all learn it, you could learn it from Umar al-Khattab anhu, which shows you that just because someone is an amazing Muslim doesn't mean that they're fit for every position. That's also from the genius of Umar al-Khattab is that you don't put people in positions that aren't suited for them just because they're good people or because they're righteous people. That's not how the Prophet dealt with things and that's not how the companions dealt with things. So this was not a knock on Al-Bara's personality. It wasn't a knock on his status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's not where he's best suited. He's not going to do you best as the commander of an army. Another lesson that we learn from Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, in this regard with, with Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now Al-Bara was, was such a, a great warrior though that he posed a few issues because sometimes he disproportionately you know, accounted for casualties on the other side. And so when they distributed the spoils of war, sometimes there were too many spoils for Al-Bara because Al-Bara disproportionately would take out from the enemy. I mean, he was just that good of a fighter, of a warrior in the field. And SubhanAllah, one of the, the battles of Al-Bahrain, 
uh, Al-Bara' was actually the one who, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Persian commander, because Bahrain was under uh, the, the Persians at the time, the Persian commander, his name was Marzban. Marzban had like this whole posse around him of like the best warriors of Persia. Al-Bara' single-handedly just went through all of them, including Marzban. And Umar anhu had to actually make a decision about all the spoils of war with him, right? About the even distribution, sort of evening them out. And he didn't care. Like Al-Bara' wasn't doing this for worldly things. This was how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him. And this was the way that he continued forward. So he single-handedly uh, took out uh, the Persian commander by the name of Marzban. Also the battle of Qadisi. If you read about the most difficult battle of the Muslims against the empires of the day, the battle of Al-Qadisiyah was the most difficult battle that they had. The battle of Al-Qadisiyah was extremely difficult. Qadisiyah was where multiple companions died in the hundreds, where you had the Persians bring out sort of their full force against the Muslims in this battle. And subhanAllah, one of the things that used to always happen with Al-Bara is that throughout the battle, people would come to Al-Bara and say, Ya Bara, aqsim ala rabbik. Take an oath upon your Lord. Make dua for victory. Because we know that your dua is answered. So the companions would be reminding Al-Bara while he's going around slicing in the field and you know, this, this, little, this, this little physical person subhanAllah with, with just this massive impact in the field, they remind him to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu would make dua loudly and they used to take uh, comfort in hearing the dua of Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so he was also instrumental in the battle of Al-Qadisi and there are multiple battles in this regard. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he has a narration about his brother. And so we have these narrations from Anas and interacting with his brother Al-Bara. Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, one time, I entered upon my brother, دخلت على البراء بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنه وهو مستلق على فراشه وهو ينشد أبياتا من الشعر كأنه يتغنى بهن. Said I entered upon him and it looked like he was dying. I thought my brother was going to die, and he was singing these lines of poetry, and these were the war songs. This is what the man does. So he was singing battle songs. Now when someone is dying, right, you want to tell them what? Say la ilaha illallah, read the Quran, you know. So Anas anhu thinks he's going to die and here he is singing the songs of battle and recounting some of the moments in the battlefield which is what he knows. So Anas anhu says, Rahimakallah, qad abdalakallahu bihi ma huwa khayru minhu, al-Quran. He said, may Allah have mercy on you my brother. Allah has given you something better to read in these moments. Why don't you read Quran right now? You know, gentle nudge. If these are your last moments, which, which it appears to be, then read the Quran. And Anas said, he looked at me full confidence. He says, You think I'm going to die on my bed? You think I'm going to die here? He said, La wallah. He said, No, by Allah, Allah will not deprive me of death in the battlefield. He said that I have been able to overcome over a hundred by my own hand, and that is not including those that I overcame with the Prophet by my side. Allah is not gonna take Allah is not gonna deprive me of that death. And subhanAllah Anas anhu says, sometime after that he healed and he got back. Al Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu got back. And this is where, subhanAllah, when you talk about the, the heroic nature of this young man and a contribution. And I don't want you, I mean, some of you are probably like, what are we getting out of all the battle after battle after battle? Next, next time we'll talk about Abu Ayyub al-Ansari and we'll talk about some of the nice stories, personal interactions, inshallah ta'ala, again. But we got to honor our heroes and their legacies. Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu in a famous uh, ma'raka, a famous battle was called Ma uh, the Ma'raka of Tustar. Uh, Tustar was also a difficult battle against the Persians in the time of Umar al-Khattab and the Muslims were about to lose that battle and so they yelled out to Al-Bara and they said Ya Bara, law aqsamta ala rabbik la'abarrak O Bara, if you take an oath upon your Lord he will answer fa'aqsim ala rabbik so take an oath upon your Lord 
So Al-Bara radiallahu anhu raises his hands and he says, Aqsamtu alayka ya Rabb, lama manahtana aktafahum. Oh Allah, I call upon you, I'm asking you for victory. Give us their backs. I'm asking you for victory, oh Allah. And so the Muslims advanced. And then they started to get beaten back again. And they said to Al-Bara, Aqsim ala Rabbik ya Bara, take an oath upon your Lord. So he did it again, the exact same thing. And then a third time, Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu did it, and Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Allahumma aqsim alayka ya Rabb, lama manahtana aktafahum, wa alhiqni bi nabiyyik. Oh, alhaqtani bi nabiyyik. Oh Allah, I ask you for victory, and let me be with your Prophet. Let me follow your Prophet. Like I'm ready to go now. This point now, Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he had a moment in his dua, where he missed the Prophet Sallallahu and he, you know, at this point he's asking for shahada. Let me follow now into the ranks of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Let me be with the Prophet Sallallahu Now SubhanAllah, this is, uh, this gets a little bit vivid, but it's, it's very important. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, I was with my brother and the Persians had this strategy. I mean, it, it's, really, it's really vivid, by the way, from Anas ta'ala anhu. It's actually shockingly vivid, but he says, don't worry, I'm going to keep it uh, PG, inshallah ta'ala, in this regard. But he said they had hot hooks, they had burning hooks that they were throwing over the gates and they were catching people with these burning hooks, right? They were trying to catch people. And they'd pull them over. So it's burning uh, iron, right? And they're throwing them over and they're catching people, catching people, catching people. So they're tossing them, and that was one of the strategies that they used. And Anas ta'ala anhu said, I got caught by one of the hooks. SubhanAllah. He said, I got caught by one of the hooks. And he said, and they would just pull you back to them. And that was it. You'd either die from the heat or the catch of the hook, or they'd kill you when you were caught over. And he said, my brother Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu jumped on me, and he removed me from the burning iron with his own two hands. SubhanAllah. Like, look at that courage. Look at that selflessness. Look at this love. Removed me, he unhooked me with his own two hands until there was nothing left on his hands. SubhanAllah, like it burned his hands, just saving my life. So he saved the life of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he said, and shortly after that, he was killed. So the last memory of Anas of his brother was him saving his life. He unhooked me from that hook, and he was martyred in that battle, and the Muslims were granted victory. So SubhanAllah, they, they actually went on to win that battle, which was his dua. His dua was that they win the battle of Tustar, and that he gets to join the Prophet His last action on this earth was saving the life of Anas ibn Malik If that's not beautiful and profound, I don't know what is, SubhanAllah. And Anas his last image of him was that. And this was uh, just 20 years after Hijrah. And I want you to just think, subhanAllah, about this. Again, you don't have hadith from Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu. You don't have a thousand hadith from Al-Bara. But what if Anas radiallahu anhu died that day? That whole legacy of hadith that we have on Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, over a thousand hadiths, Allah, Allah decrees that moment. It's a snap decision, right? Split, split decision. And he has to go in that, in that moment, make that snap decision to go and to save Anas ibn Malik ta'ala anhu and put himself at risk. The entire decades worth, this is 20 years after Hijrah, okay? So Anas ta'ala anhu would have been 30 years old in this moment. Anas anhu lived another 70 plus years after this moment. The entire legacy of Anas ibn Malik ta'ala anhu was at risk at that moment and that entire contribution that reaches us. And so that's why when you're talking about underestimated and unsung heroes. The fighting against Musaylimah and being instrumental in that battle was a significant contribution to the preservation of the Qur'an. And the saving of the life of Anas ibn Malik anhu was a significant contribution to the seerah and the sunnah that reached us of our beloved Prophet So when you talk about owing someone, Alhamdulillah for Al-Bara ibn Malik. Alhamdulillah for that moment where Allah Azza wa inspired him 
to save the life of Anas ibn Malik عنه, to where he got to go join his Prophet وسلم, as the shaheed that he wanted to be and he left behind us Anas عنه, who would tell us everything we wanted to know about the Prophet وسلم, for seven decades after. Alhamdulillah for that contribution. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward Al-Bara and be pleased with him. May Allah Azza wa be pleased with him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala join us with the companions, with the family and our beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in al-Firdaus al-A'la. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khayran, inshaAllah ta'ala. I will go ahead and take questions, inshaAllah. Yes. Uh, Al-Bara himself, so who were the strong warriors that surrounded Al-Bara? He himself was the strong warrior, so he didn't need anybody around him. He was really strong himself. Mashallah. Yes, sis, go ahead. If you can raise your voice, inshallah, I can hear you. Excellent. What made his dua accepted? You know, like what made him so close? We don't know. Clearly, I mean, these, these acts of courage, there's something special being generated inside of him, right? But that's actually the point that the Prophet is making, is that so many of the awliya, so many of those people that are close to Allah, they're protective of their relationship with Allah. They're so protective of their relationship with Allah, like you wouldn't assume anything of them. And especially if they have an unassuming presence in society, they're very quiet. He's very quiet, right? I mean, not a single hadith where Al-Bara spoke up in a gathering. Al-Bara, Allah, Jannah, call me when it's battle. That was his life. It's, it's incredible, subhanAllah. Like, I'm not interested in anything else. Just call me when it's time for battle and I'll be that guy. But the fact that he's so unassuming, the Prophet is saying, you don't know the relationship that man has with Allah. And with the awliya, uh, many of them are silent because of how much they talk to Allah. They're enjoying their conversation with God. And the more that you enjoy your conversation with Allah, the more that you tend to find conversation with people not being very satisfying. Uh, and so that's a personality type. And I think this is the beauty of the Sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ is men and women, they're so different. Right? And their path to Jannah, their path to greatness is so different. Like if you study, we've done 80 lectures so far. Every biography fits a different personality type, you know? Uh, men and women, you know? There's Umm Sulaim and there's Khadija, right? May Allah be pleased with them. There's Anas and there's Al-Bara. These are two brothers that are, I mean, from the same mother and father, and SubhanAllah, very, very different people. Like Anas and Al-Bara have like entirely different trajectories. There is nothing really narrated about Anas in the battlefield. That wasn't his thing. He was Khadim Rasulullah Sallallahu He was the, in the service of the Prophet Sallallahu in life and in death, SubhanAllah. But that was Anas's path to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So may Allah be pleased with all of the companions. Yes, sir. There are a lot of... Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry, one of the, one of the, there we go, this helps, alhamdulillah. You got the mic now, so, oh. yeah, all right. <laughs> Thank you. Could it be considered a, one of the dalal nubuwa that Allah combined these people, these very special households to be the companions of the Messenger of Allah? Because yes. we haven't seen anything like that after his time. Yes. So, uh, I believe it was al-Bayhaqi who said that if the only miracle and proof of the Prophet was his companions, the fact that without power, the Prophet ﷺ was able to gather this group of people, this class of people, and put them all in this position. Lakafa, that's in and of itself a sufficient proof. Like the Prophet ﷺ having this generation of people and inspiring them all to their best, to their best version of themselves, and then creating that community without any of the instruments of power, is in and of itself a proof of his prophethood. That everyone had a role to play in the community of the Prophet. I mean, it's genius, 
It's prophetic, it's divine, subhanAllah. Every single person. To the Arabs, Al-Bara' would have had no use. Right, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's the skinny, wiry, per he has nothing. He's not, he's not prominent, he's not prestigious, he's not eloquent, he's not strong. They, they would have tossed him aside. But SubhanAllah, I mean, two of the most honored people. Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu al-Bara' radiallahu anhu. Bilal radiallahu anhu, Khabbab radiallahu Like everyone finds a place in the community of the Prophet sallallahu and gets propelled towards this greatness that we're still talking about today. So it's definitely a proof of prophethood. Because the Prophet sallallahu inspired that in them. You know, how much did they love the Prophet sallallahu that they're thinking about him in these moments? You know, he, he, specific, he didn't say, oh Allah, shahada in that moment. He intended it, but you know, alhaqtani bi nabiyyik. I want to be with my Prophet. And so, while you have all these loving hadiths of Anas radiallahu anhu talking about Rasulullah sallallahu dreaming of the Prophet sallallahu every night, Al-Bara' radiallahu anhu had it deep in his heart. He just didn't talk about it. It was something that he had in his heart, and when that moment came, Ya Allah, I want to be with the Prophet. And Allah granted him that. Zakhmullah. All right, any brothers' questions? Yeah. Can you raise your voice? Do we know anything about his childhood? Zero. I'm, when, when I talk about like this was a hard lecture to prepare, this was a hard lecture to prepare. Because you sit, when you search Al-Bara' in any database, you get Al-Bara' ibn Azib, Al-Bara' ibn Ma'roor. He's not even in some of the books in this regard, right? He's, you have to scrap pieces, and I could not find anything about his childhood. To the point that we don't even know if Umm Sulaim is his mom. I mean, that, that, if that's not obscurity, subhanAllah, I mean, we don't even know for a fact, though it's, it's, it seems to be the case that he's Anas's brother, both through mother and father. Zakmullah. I thought I saw a hand here. Yeah. Any of the what? His age. His age. So the age, uh, it, it seems to be that he was, uh, he was definitely older than Anas anhu. So it seems to be he was older than Anas. And Allahu Alam, it seems like he was probably a teenager when the Prophet, when he accepted Islam, when the Prophet came to Medina, which would have explained why he didn't fight in Badr. So he was slightly older than Anas anhu. Of the age at Shahada. 20 years after Hijrah, so I mean he would have been in his early 30s, right? His 30s, mid-30s, early 30s at that time. Yes, sir. Uh, how did Anas die? I mean, Anas' brother died. Like, how did Anas die or how did Anas' brother die? His brother. Bro you're talking about this brother? Yeah, Anas' brother. Anas' yeah. brother, he died in this battle, this last battle, after he saved Anas' life. Yeah. <laughs> Subhanallah. Good question. So, the, when the Prophet when Umm Sulaim radiallahu anha put Anas radiallahu anha forward and said, "Make du'a for him," and the Prophet made du'a for the family, was he included in that? Maybe not in that specific du'a, but like, how many times did the Prophet make du'a for that family? I mean, he'd literally go to their house just to pray for them. So that whole family is blessed. And subhanAllah, like, you can't, you can't disconnect like, what, was, what was nursed and, and nurtured in these people. Like, when, when, when I told the story of Umm Sulaim radiallahu anha, I saw somebody like, whoa, wow. That level of selflessness is like unheard of. It's too much almost, right? It's a level of sacrifice that we're not accustomed to. It's like the ultimate manifestation of the Ansar. Look at her sons. Look at her sons. You know, subhanAllah, look at her kids and what they, what they do, how they live. So there's something to be said about the DNA and the dua that gets transferred here uh, in this family. And this is, this is another fruit of Umm Sulaim radiallahu anha. That's how she taught her kids, right? That's another fruit of Umm Sulaim radiallahu ta'ala anha with uh, her child. And may Allah make him, you know, from her scale. Yes. Yes, al-bara'. Ibn Malik was older than Anas ibn Malik. Great question, Abdullah. Jazakallah khair. Yes. So he talks about the battles that he won. Has there been any battles that he's lost? He never lost a battle. Uh, uh, by the way, like, it's battle after battle after battle. He never lost. And the Muslims knew when he was there they weren't going to lose. It was sort of understood. <laughs> his dua was going to get them through. And then his antics would get them through, you know. <laughs> but, uh, Subhanallah, you know, it's it's one of the beautiful things about him. I'll take one more question, inshallah, from the sisters, maybe. Or, yeah. Basically, how can you motivate the current generation to take and 
So, yeah, what lesson do we take? I'm telling you, subhanAllah, like there are people in our midst. This young sister, Afreen, she's 22 years old. 22 years old, her father is in prison. She watched her house destroyed. Like I was talking to, I mean, like I talked to her and I'm like, who, who is this? She's so settled, calm, composed. I mean, I'm like, there are people in our midst of courage. Don't fear, except uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't fear the blame of the blamer or the tyranny of the tyrant or the oppression of the oppressor or the backbiting of the backbiter or the slander of the slanderer. That's where we take this. This is, this is what certainty looks like. And this is what courage looks like. And so I think with every one of them, there is a lesson in courage, a lesson in bravery that we can take with the Nine And certainly as oppression is growing, in the world, the importance of Muslims to challenge that tyranny, to challenge of Lalameen and to not be afraid from them. Because at the end of the day, our paradise is in our hearts. Al-Bara'a's paradise was in his heart. And I think that's the main lesson we take from that. But I'll say this as well, ponder. Uh, one of the things when you, when you hear, you read a biography is you ponder, what are some lessons that I didn't mention that you can take? And I think it's important, inshallah ta'ala, to dabbur ala seerah, uh, to actually reflect upon the seerah and upon the biographies of the companions. If there's any questions from the sisters, I'll, yeah, last one. Did he ever get married? It doesn't seem like he ever got married. He would have drove his wife, uh, she probably would have been very, very nervous all the time, right? Uh, Allahu alam, but I could not find any documentation of a wife in this regard. But yeah, think about the blood pressure when he leaves the house. Uh, so his legacy is different, subhanAllah. His legacy is very different, but we all owe him because we can say Anas an Anas an Rasulullah from Anas from the Prophet That's one of the, the things we owe him. May Allah be pleased with the companions. May Allah send His peace and blessings upon the Prophet and his family. May Allah Azza join us with them. Allahumma Amin. Jazakumullah Khairan. Inshallah Taala, we will resume with Abu Ayyub al Ansari radiAllahu Taala Anhu sometime in August. Inshallah. So stay tuned. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.